After the crucifixion, Jesus' body is laid in the tomb. Now, this tomb is then closed and sealed and guarded. And there's a reason for this. The reason this is done is that the priestly class are convinced that Jesus is a fraud. They are convinced he's a fraud. And everything that he says is fraudulent. And they are afraid that his disciples will steal away the body and claim that he has risen from the dead. And the reason that they are afraid of this is because in their scripture, it's prophesied that that will happen. It's prophesied that that will happen. They know that their own scripture says that the Messiah will not see decay. So Psalm 16.10 says, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. It is already prophesied that the coming Messiah will die and rise from the dead. Now, the last thing we want is for somebody to carry that off when we don't want it to be them. So this is what happens. For them, they are keen, very keen, that this particular prophecy isn't attributed to Jesus. Jesus might be lots of things. They're not prepared publicly to say he isn't a prophet, but they are most definitely not prepared to have it conceded that he is the Messiah, particularly with the final proof that the Messiah dies and rises from the dead. We do a bit of that symbolically um, with a large pool of water, and it is great fun. Come along when we do that. It's excellent. But they don't want that. So what they do is they get some Roman guards. So remember, these are trained soldiers, and they put them beside this tomb with a large stone, and then they seal it up. So, you must remember that for Roman guards, to fail in your guard duty means death. If you fail on guard duty as a Roman soldier, you are executed. So, the price is high. So, when the Roman guards come back and they say, there was an earthquake, there was lightning, the stone was rolled away by an angel that was so terrifying that we just couldn't move. And now his body is no longer in the tomb. There's a bit of an obvious conclusion here. There's a bit of an obvious one, isn't there? It isn't that the disciples have come, untrained fishermen, overpowered a squadron of Roman soldiers whose very life depends on them not being overpowered, rolling away the stone, 
breaking the steel, leaving the soldiers to almost certain execution, and running off with Jesus' body. Did the soldiers fall asleep? Let's be clear. If your life depends on staying awake, do you know what happens? You stay awake. I don't know about you, I've had all sorts of things that I've got to do the next day. Job interviews. I once did a driving test. Um, difficult conversations. Hard meetings at work. Really exciting family events. Frankly, none of them involved dying, and they still managed to keep me awake. So let's be honest. If it's look, those eyes stay open or they are shut permanently, guess what? They stay awake. So when the Roman soldiers say, oh, well, but pardon us, we fell asleep, obviously they didn't fall asleep. Though the Roman soldiers didn't say that. They didn't say that. They came and told the priests what happened. They didn't say we fell asleep. They said we turned up, we were there with our swords and our spears and a big stone, and there was an earthquake and lightning and an angel, and it was absolutely terrifying, and the grave is now open and empty. That's what they told the Pharisees. There is no reason for the priests not to believe that, because the Roman soldiers were basically saying, I know this potentially means that we're all dead men, but actually this is what happened. So in other words, if the soldiers could have credibly lied, remember their lives depend on it, they would have credibly lied. In fact, I suspect that if they couldn't have lied without, without any credibility whatsoever, they would have been strongly tempted to give it a good go on the basis that potentially they're going to be executed. So, let's go over this one more time. The priestly class don't want Jesus to come out of the tomb because he'll look like the Messiah. The reason he'll look like the Messiah is because the Scriptures that they believe say that that's what will happen with the Messiah. So, when there is an earthquake and lightning and an angel and a squadron of Roman soldiers and a seal broken and a stone rolled away and a body missing, there's an obvious conclusion, isn't there? Yeah, it's clearly not the Messiah. That's obvious. How could it be? How could Jesus be the Messiah? So what about if we add to that? So there's not just that. There's not just that. Apart from that, don't forget, there's all the prophecies about His birth, which they know about. There's the healing the sick, raising the dead, the speaking with authority, death, resurrection, everything says this is the Messiah. There are a group of people, and they are looking at it. Trust me, if it's born like a Messiah, if it does miracles like a Messiah, if it talks like a Messiah, if it dies and rises from the dead like a Messiah, it's clearly not the Messiah. 
can't possibly be. Why can it not be? Because they don't want it to be true. They don't want it to be true. It is obviously true. But they don't want it to be. Now, this is amazing and yet unbelievably common even today. Something is just not believed, not because it's obviously true, but because, in fact, it's uncomfortably true. We don't want to hear it. It's ob- and it is amazing what people will believe. Can I just tell you, statistically, 12 million Americans believe that the world is ruled by a race of lizard people. I mean, that's interesting. It's amazing what people will believe. This is what the Bible says. says The Bible tells us that people elevate those that tell them what their ears are itching to hear. Now, that's an interesting way to get to the truth, isn't it? I have no idea what the truth is, but I've decided what I want it to be, and I'm now going to elevate the people who tell me what it is I've decided that I want to hear. But the Bible tells us that that's what happens, and it is true now. We have a powerful media in this world. We have a powerful media in this country. And just think about all the phrases that are used to tell us things which actually often turn out to be completely not the case. I think of phrases that we see in the media all the time, like, it's an accepted fact. Well, accepted by who? Factual in which terms? Is it factual like the priests were telling the people that Jesus' body was stolen and accidentally forgetting to mention the overpowered guards, the lightning, etc., etc.? If it was so true, why bribe? Why go to the Roman governor and risk death yourself by lying along with the soldiers? But it's an accepted fact. It's a scientific, I love this one, by the way, scientific fact. Those of you who are scientists will already say, hang on a second, you can't have both. If it's scientific, it's always a theory. It's always a theory. It's being researched. You don't have facts. I love this. By the way, just so you know, and it is an excellent thing, and maybe we should mark the passing, is that the days in which science endeavors to prove that God does not exist are over. So the media, or some of the media, hasn't caught up with this. Some people haven't caught up with this. But the scientific community now no longer claims that it will be able to disprove God. It has given up. In fact, at the moment, there are a range of eminent theoretical physicists who wouldn't describe themselves as having any religious belief at all, who currently say that as far as they can see, 
An intelligent design or a God design is as likely as any other theory. Now, this is not a popular position, and the media, and I know you're shocked at this, have been somewhat slow at reporting this, but it is making its way out quite radically. And in fact, the anti-God group have already changed their tack, look out for it, because science is no longer useful to those who do not want God. Their day has gone. It's over. They've finished. Science will no longer help 60, 70, maybe 150 years of believing that science will finally remove God from the agenda, and it hasn't happened, and it won't happen. Let's take a moment for that, by the way. I just really like the idea that that's happened. Okay, but it hasn't changed anything because now, now the clever money, trust me, it's always clever, the clever money is saying, no, 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 no. But if there is a God, He's horrible. We don't like Him. If there is a God, wow, that's a big jump from there is no to if there is. We've now moved to if there is a God, we don't like Him. Look out for that one in the media, by the way. Um, I, I suspect it won't last quite as long as the current one, but you know the usual arguments. We have control over the earth. God gave dominion over the earth to mankind. We mess it up and make lots of people miserable, and suddenly it's God's fault. You know the, you know the arguments, don't you? Anyway, um, however, as it goes, people don't want to see it. Science has proved, research has proved. Let's talk about, a little bit about some of these evidences. For nearly 60 years from the 30s upwards, science had proved that the Bible was historically inaccurate because the Exodus story matching up to what was historically known about the Pharaoh or the Pharaohic reigns in ancient Egypt was a good 400 years out. And for 60 years, sadly, I believe probably people by choice lived and died without ever accepting Jesus on the basis that science proves. And then interestingly enough, in the late 1980s, an Egyptian, by the way, not a Jewish or a Christian, an Egyptian document was discovered that told archaeologists that they had miscalculated. Guess how much by? Oh no, surely not. Yes! Does that change? Was there a sudden spike in conversions? Well, this is unpopular. I'm not sure how well documented it was. I don't remember headlines, do you? It just quietly got bribed and told to go away in case people started to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that God's Word was true, that all these things that we're itching not to hear, we should be listening to. That's scary, isn't it? I'll tell you another one, and I was involved in it quite a lot when I had a real job, was, was all the controversy around the MMR um, inoculations. Do you remember that? With a doctor who, uh, who, by the way, is now struck off 
and was very fortunate not to be jailed, had created artificial evidence um, related to an agenda of his own, and, uh, and told people that there was a direct link between the MMR virus and, and autism. There is none, by the way, none whatsoever, not even, not even a shred. It's not even smoke without fire. Meanwhile, certainly in parts of Europe and in, in North America, almost eradicated measles has started to re-establish itself on the basis of a lie. But if you look at the media, it was a scientific fact. It was a scientific lie. But people who like conspiracies like to believe it. So that's the whole thing. So what that means is we live in a world where even if a thing is true, it doesn't mean that we want to hear it. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that even if we know it's true, we don't want to hear it. We're now in an era we talk about it as being post-truth. That's a lovely phrase, isn't it? We're no longer post-modern, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. We're now post-truth. Um, I'm not quite sure entirely what that means. What I have discovered is that with the modern social media, we're certainly in a post-nonsense situation. You wouldn't believe the nonsense that gets posted on social media. But post-truth, I don't know. What is post-truth? Post-truth is this. If you believe it, it's true. If I believe something diametrically op opposite, it's also true. If you believe something in the middle, it's true. If you believe that I am a large purple duck talking to you today, then good for you. Um, I hope that the bill is not too large. I know, I know it's a cheap shot, but what can I say? It's in there. So, This is interesting, isn't it? Now, what does that mean? That means this. That means that you are now not allowed to say to somebody, but you're talking nonsense. You're not allowed to say, I don't agree. You're not allowed to say, but you are basing everything you believe on assertions which are clearly not true. There is still an agenda like there was then to cover up the truth. It's the same today. Think about the pressure to silence the Christian, to hide the gospel. Think about the threats and the ridicule, the aggression, people sacked from their jobs, people prosecuted for speaking out for the gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm just talking about this country. When we start going to other countries, execution to cover up the gospel. Think about the testimonies from our brave young people getting baptized last week, about standing up for Jesus in school, about the pressure on them not to acknowledge the name of Jesus. It's a cover up the truth. The agenda is to cover up the truth. In many places, the opposite, however, because this is not consistent. It's not cover up all truth. No, no, no. It's okay in many places to blaspheme the name of Jesus. It's acceptable to mock and ridicule the Christian in many workplaces. How is that okay? 
Now, this is not seen as prejudicial or bullying. This is just seen as okay. Young people feel under pressure. People at work feel under pressure. The government keeps trying to find ways to prevent the gospel being preached to, to, to children and young people. My goodness, we, we're apparently going to have Easter without Easter. That's good, isn't it? We're going to call it chocolate fest or something. Oh, by the way, we're back to the duck again, aren't we? Oh, no, it's a chicken this time, isn't it? A large chicken. So what can we do? Okay, so I've, so much for that. I've, Large, large precursor. Goodness gracious, joking, Graham. Precursor. No, no, no. We're, we're okay. I just want to set the scene here. I just want to set the scene. I want you to view truth presented outside of the Bible with the most extreme suspicion. That's what I want you to do. Because every time... The Bible proves itself to be true. There is a redoubled effort to shut it up. So when we say no smoke without fire, why 2,000 years of trying to suppress this if it doesn't have any credibility? But it does. Jesus did rise from the dead. The whole of human history changed course that day. And every human being faced up with their own sin and shame and guilt, with their own mistakes, our griefs, our hurts, our insecurities, our fears for the future, our frustrations, all of the things that prevent us living life to the full were swept away, and all that was left was glorious fullness of life through a risen Jesus. What on earth could persuade you not to take that? But it doesn't fit the mold. So what do we do? I just want to suggest three things that we can do, even though the pressure is on for us not to speak the truth. Here's the first thing. Even if you are not allowed to say anything, you can live differently. If we live in the truth, then we are living differently. The challenge for every disciple of Jesus is to live differently. We do not buy in to the culture that does not acknowledge Jesus. We can live, stand out. We can speak and behave in ways that honor Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting we do this accidentally. I'm saying we think about this. We think about how we do differently. We can be kind and generous and hospitable and polite and helpful, encouraging, sympathetic. We can react to troubles hopefully, joyfully. We can do it in faith and not in fear. We can keep out of the gossip. We can keep out of the mind games. We can keep out of the smutty talk. We can keep away from the grumbling. We can be scrupulously honest. We can show real integrity. We can be diligent in everything we do. We can be trustworthy in our commitments. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, we can shine. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. 
There's nothing stops us from shining, ladies and gentlemen, except that we give in to the pressure round about us. Don't think I'm reducing in any way the pressure that is on us to fit in and to be the same. But if we can't speak out, we can live differently, can't we? We can live differently. And I don't just mean this morning. I mean, we live differently during the week. We live differently as families. We live differently in every environment. We behave differently towards others. Here's the second thing we can do. We can, and nobody can stop us doing this, is we can pray regularly. My earnest belief is this, that prayer changes things. That when we pray, the enemy flees. The enemy is already defeated. He skulks around with his deceptions. We see evidence of it everywhere. But when we pray, he has to flee. When we pray on our own, we are effective. When we pray in twos and threes, we are more effective. When we pray as a body, we are frighteningly effective. When we pray as the church unified, the very gates of hell, ladies and gentlemen, cannot stand against us. This is a weapon, and we can wield it, and nobody on the planet can stop us doing it. How exciting is that? What incentive is there for us to pray? Every incentive. We must pray fervently, pray together. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is what Paul said. He said, be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Remember, live well, faithful in prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests. If we're prayerfully addressing every situation, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see a difference. Make a note of the difference. We should be regularly testifying one to another about how God has been faithful in prayer. And in this world where the truth is suppressed, the light squeezes out through the cracks. It is fantastic. Can I just tell you, think about how easy it is to build and maintain a container in which you can put a bright light and not let any of it squeeze out. Well, you might be able to do it, but if the light inside is praying, the light inside has a jackhammer, and it will bust through, and the light will come out. We can pray fervently. We'll see a difference. We'll see what goes. And one last thing, ladies and gentlemen, this, this and it's important to me, and I think it's a challenge that I walked a few years ago. I used to work in, in social care. Social care prides itself on being politically correct. Uh, politically correct rarely involves the gospel, even though the whole social care system was set up by the church and remains as dependent on it now as it did 250 years ago. It's kind of, well, we want the Christians without Christ. I was challenged not to play that game, and I still don't want to play that game. So here's my thing. The word is that you shouldn't say anything. Live differently. 
pray fervently. And hey, speak out anyway. That's what I'm saying. Speak out anyway. Speak up for Jesus. Declare the gospel. Do you know what? There are people out there now who need Jesus. Why would we keep them away? Think of the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Why would we wish others to miss out? Is life so happy, secure, so filled with joy and lacking in hurt? Are people so free from their own anxieties and insecurities and fears and hurts and pain and illness that we don't need to be offering relief? No, they're not. It's a hard life. How much harder without Jesus? So people want to shut us up, people, but we don't do that. This is what I say to you. Speak up anyway. There's no need to be arrogant. There's no need to be judgmental. There's no need to be harsh. There's no need to be superior or supercilious. There's no need to make out that you're any better, any cleverer, any smarter than anybody else. In fact, the reality is that we need Jesus because we know that we are a mess, that we are full of stuff that we need fixing. We're no better than anyone else. We can speak up for Jesus without coming across like that. But speak up, we should. And that's our challenge. Challenge today is dare to be different, ladies and gentlemen. The, the move is to cover up the truth, but dare to be different. Jesus is the Messiah. We are broken by our sin, and He has fixed that. Do you want to be fixed? Then walk in the truth. Just because this, I once got into trouble for saying this, it was a few years ago, but there are people in this church who were at this service. It wasn't here. And I said this, the definition of absolute truth is this, that the truth remains true whether anybody believes it or not. The truth remains true whether anybody believes it or not. It's not democratic. It's not open to vote. It's just true. And if the whole world fails to believe it, the Bible says that will never happen, but if the whole world failed to believe it, it would still be true. And Jesus is the Messiah, and He has power to forgive your sin. If anyone says they are not a sinner, the Bible says that they are deceiving themselves. Now, that's an uncomfortable truth, but it doesn't stop it being true. That Jesus is the way to salvation for some, it's an uncomfortable truth, but it doesn't stop it being true. So the challenge for us is to live in that, to pray that out, to speak it out, and see the Holy Spirit. If you feel that you are being suppressed and silenced by the world, by your life situation, by where you are, by who's putting you under pressure, by your own fears and anxieties, maybe by previous bad experiences, then get prayer today. Let the Holy Spirit set you free. Open your heart and loosen your mouth all over again. If you haven't met Jesus and you want to know this special, special, special truth that everybody has spent so long trying to cover up because it turns the world upside down, then I'm more than happy to introduce you to a living Savior today. He rose. They tried to cover it up. It didn't work. And here we are. So if you want that, I'll pray for you. But ladies and gentlemen, so today, live differently. Pray 
fervently. Whatever they say, speak up anyway. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the truth. It's not our truth, it's Your truth. We're not clever or any more clever than anyone else. But Lord, we really want to be champions of the truth. Just give us the courage and the wisdom, the grace and the insight, Lord, to live differently, that our light might shine before people, that they'll give glory. Lord, discipline us in our prayer. Let us see that our prayers are effective. Let us understand the weapon that we wield. And Lord, give us boldness that we can speak out for risen Jesus and be a vehicle for many, many people being set free. In Jesus' name, amen.